Welcome back to the T-Draw for the Film Buff podcast. This is episode 41 coming to you on Super Bowl Monday. Uh, first things first, let's uh, go ahead and do the instant reaction to the Super Bowl. It was better than last year. It was certainly better than last year. Um, I won't even say it was really entertaining, though. Uh, you know, Until the final, I don't know, 10 minutes, it really just until the fourth quarter, it was not much to really get up out of your seat and cheer for, whether you're a Niner fan or a Chiefs fan. Just not a lot of exciting plays. It wasn't any really any long runs, maybe a couple 20 to 25-yard passes here and there, but that was it. Nothing exciting in the touchdown realm of things. A couple field goal kicks, a couple interceptions that were pretty bad. Um, and, and that was kind of it for the first, you know, two, three hours of the, the night. Uh, and then, of course, in the fourth quarter, Patrick Mahomes and, and the rest of the crew just step it up for Kansas City. Um, I was rooting for the Chiefs to win for really no other reason than I just kind of wanted to see Mahomes get a Super Bowl ring this early in his career. Um, and I kind of wanted to see him start his start to build his own dynasty there uh, in Kansas City. Um, you know, the, the Brady era, the Manning era seemed to be pretty much over. Um, but I think we're into a new era of things. And of course, as a Bears fan, it's hard to see Mahomes succeed with what could have been if the Bears would have picked him over Trubisky, but oh well. Um, but the number one reason why I'm happy on the Super Bowl Monday is that I won 200 bucks on that last touchdown by the Chiefs. Very grateful because it was completely unnecessary. All he had to do was fall down the 10-yard line, take the knees, then kick a field goal at the last second or whatever. Uh, but yeah, Damian Williams, is that his name? Running back for the Chiefs, decides to run in, get me uh, get me 200 bucks there. Because I had the, the, uh, the one Chiefs, zero Niners square. So that was, uh, yeah, that was... That was nice. I, I love that. Um, uh, we're gonna talk a lot about Super Bowl trailers now, TV spots that uh, you know appeared, uh, popped up over the course of the night. Fast Nine, after putting out a four-minute-long trailer, decides to still pay for a thirty-second ad. I think it's like five, six million dollars for a thirty-second ad at Super Bowl after what was it, 36 hours before that, 48 hours before that, they were putting out a four-minute trailer. I, I Sometimes I don't know what Universal is doing with their marketing strategies, but I don't think they really have to worry about the Fast and Furious franchise. I, I think I think we pretty much know what box office Fast 9 is going to do. It's probably going to do the same critically. It'll be like a 60 to 65% of Rotten Tomatoes, and that's going to be it. I mean, it's been the same way for the last four or five movies. I don't think they really have to worry However, the decision to bring back Han is is interesting, um, and I you know I heard somebody say online that they might think that this is because you know Charlize Theron was the villain in Fate of the Furious, uh, and she was like that tech genius villain, uh, very different for the franchise. You know whether you like it or love it, it just it or like it or don't like it, 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 it was a different take for a villain in this series. Uh, and so I don't even think she really used her full potential as like a tech-based genius, uh, psychopath, insane, I don't know, antagonist for lack of a better term. Like she was, 
you know, of course she killed um, Dom's former lover slash Chris Hemsworth's real life wife, uh, Elsa Pataki, in those movies. I don't even remember what her her name is in those films, though. Uh, they never really gave her much to do. She killed her in those movies, um, but she didn't. It just wasn't, I don't know, her plan wasn't great. So I, what I've been hearing online, going back to what I was saying before, people are thinking that this is somehow, I don't even know how logistically it would work, but why even ask that question when it's the Fast and Furious franchise to begin with? Maybe this is some sort of hologram, like recreation of Han to mess with Toretto and the crew by Charlize Theron's um, Cypher, I believe is, is the character's name. Maybe he's not actually real at all. Somehow it's some other character infiltrating the team. Like, to me, the, you know, that would make sense. Because Han, we literally saw his, his car blow up twice in two different movies. We see that same shot twice. Sorry for the yawn there. Uh, we see him blow up. So there's no reason for him to be alive. But with that said, the Fast and Furious franchise, as I was saying last night to a buddy of mine, it's gotten to the point where they could go this whole movie without explaining why Han's alive, and I think everybody would just accept it because it's the Fast and Furious franchise, and they don't explain anything logistically, and that's fine. Uh, it's kind of become the X-Men timeline, if you will, where it's just, yeah, the Magneto is 30 in this movie, and, you know, in 10 years, he's actually 65 like he is in X-Men 1. It's Yeah, I mean, it makes no sense, but you just kind of have to accept it. You have to suspend that much disbelief, for better or worse. The whole John Cena as Dom Toretto's uh, brother is weird. Uh, I should say Jacob as Dom's, Dom Toretto's brother. I don't think Dom ever mentions once another sibling besides Mia. Uh, and I would assume, unless this is the same parent... Uh, that Mia has no idea. Somehow this is like Dom's other brother from a different father's. I don't know. Because John Cena looks nothing like Vin Diesel. Unless he shaves his head, then we, you know, then they look everything alike. Because, you know, you have to be a bald head in Fast and Furious movies. It's like a rite of passage. Jeez. Um, uh, Vin, you know, Dom catches a car in the trailer. They jump off cliffs with their their cars once again. Uh, I should say he catches a car with his bare hands. God, that yawning. What, what's going on? Um, no, he, he literally catches a car with his hands. I mean, that, that was fine. You know, completely accepted. Uh, there's magnetic planes. Uh, of course, there's no The Rock Johnson this time. Uh, I don't know. Anyway, let's, let's move on from Fast 9. I'm, I'm excited for the movie, but there's, you know, there's not much to that conversation other than the initial you know, reactions. Uh, Black Widow put out that 30-second big game spot as most of the last, uh, well, the last couple Avengers films did it. Um, Civil War did it. I don't remember if Captain Marvel did it last year. Um, But, you know, just that 30-second, mostly music-driven, you know, TV spot. Uh, It almost seems like, so so Scarlett Johansson as, you know, Natasha is, like, narrating this trailer uh, when she says, like, Avengers weren't my first family. Um, of course, nice transition from the Fast and Furious discussion to the Black Widow discussion as we're talking about family. Everything's always about family. But 
what I was thinking was it almost seems like she's narrating this trailer to a character. So who other character would that be? It would probably be somebody like William Hurt. Um, you know, who, why, like who else would she be talking to in this film? Because if she's talking about her family, like her family is apparently Rachel Weisz, David Harbour, um, and Florence Pugh. So they would all know. So you would have to assume that she is, in fact, talking to like William Hurt, Thunderbolt Ross, um, and that's kind of like the flash forward in like what 2016, 2017, and maybe some of these scenes are flashbacks, or maybe they are actually, uh, maybe the whole film really is in between Civil War and Infinity War. I guess it's kind of a way to see on that. Um, I just love the new shots of like Florence Pugh and, and, and Scarlett Johansson, like side by side. That's that's some great stuff. Um, and the only note I put down here was like, I mean, who really is Taskmaster, and who is Rachel Vice really playing? Because she looks like she's like playing her mother figure, or maybe in fact her real mother. Um, but like, there's nobody else in this cast that is of note besides those main four and William Hurt. Who's playing Taskmaster? Is it just a, a faceless thug? Uh, and that's the villain of the film? Like, some reason I kind of believe Rachel Weisz is, is the ultimate villain of Black Widow. That's that's my gut. That's my gut. And I, if I had to bet right now, that's what I would bet on. Um, I just don't see them going a whole film without a villain that has some sort of emotional stakes uh, in the story with Natasha. So that's my gut. Uh, Mulan had a 30-second spot, and then they had a full trailer last night. I mean, it was a good trailer. I don't think we really needed it. I think that second trailer that they had back in December was one of the best trailers of the last few years, and I don't think they really needed to follow up with anything because this trailer just shows, you know, a couple more bits of dialogue. You get to hear the villain really, you know, actually give some lines this time. It's not just you know, blank dialogue, but he, I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of worried about the, the, the line delivery of that, the man who plays the villain, I'm not aware of him as an actor, maybe he's some stud actor overseas, I just, I haven't seen him in anything, let's, let's go ahead and pull up his IMDB right now, and maybe I'm completely wrong here, um, maybe he has been in a lot of things, all right, top build cast, I believe, Borakon is the the main villain, and that's Jason Scott Lee. Okay, so all right, so he played Bruce Lee in the in the Bruce Lee story. I I have not, I have admittedly not seen Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. I do hear good things about it, um, so I I do want to see that film. He was in Back to the Future Part Two. What was he in Back to the Future? I don't know, but it doesn't look like he's been in a ton. Um, not that I've seen at least. Uh. You know, he's got 40 IMDb credits. Yeah, I mean, he's in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Looks like that's a sequel, though. Was he in the original? He was in a couple Dracula films. No, he wasn't in the original. He was Mowgli in the 1994 Jungle Book. Oh, my gosh. Do I remember that film? Watching that a ton as a kid. Um... Yeah, I, I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Wow, Lena Headey was in that Jungle Book film? I kind of want to rewatch that film now. Wow. Um, yeah, so that's that's it for Mulan. I mean, some good stuff in there, but 
great action, great cinematography. I just don't know if it's really something that they needed to put out. I understand why they did it, but I'll go back to the other trailer more than I will this one any day of the week. Top Gun Maverick, of course, put out that 30-second spot. You can count on Tom Cruise films putting out a Super Bowl spot. Um, I believe Mission Impossible did it last year. I could be wrong, though. Um, it's just some incredible aerial sequences and just shots overall, beginning and the end of the trailer. Not that we didn't have that uh, in the full trailers, but wow. I mean, that, that'll sell you on the film right, of, right away. Some of the stuff you just know Tom Cruise couldn't, couldn't do back when they had that original Top Gun film. Um, and now he's got the clout to say, no, I'm doing my own stunts. I'm, I'm flying this thing. And of course, not all of it's completely real, but you can tell just by the way they filmed it that he did a lot of it. So that's cool. Uh, the 25th Bond film put out a, a trailer or a TV spot. Um, of course, that's No Time to Die. They put the tagline in the trailer, the 25th film will change everything. I mean, what what could that possibly mean? Because you, you normally when Bond films end their run with a certain actor and they move on to a different Bond, the, the lore of the previous films don't, they don't carry over. So what could this possibly mean that this film will change everything? Um, because Daniel Craig's done with after this one. So what do you mean it will change everything? Of course, the next movie is going to be way different because you can have a different Bond. So I don't, I don't know what they mean by that. But ultimately, I'm just excited for what, you know, Phoebe Waller-Bridge brings to that script. Cause I, I'm just, I just really want to know what she, what she does with a huge budget with characters that are already built out that are not her own um i don't know i'm just a huge fan so i can't wait to see what she does if you really even do feel her um you know tone and, and style at all maybe you don't because it's a studio film you just never know you never know what they're going to allow that person to really toy a lot toy around with so um disney plus put out the marvel little teaser 30 second big game spot Falcon and her soldier. He had plenty of cool shots in that one division. That's probably the one everybody's talking about most because you have plenty of shots of like the sitcom type feel. She's in her, uh, you know, classic comic accurate suit, which is cool. Got, get a lot of like Brady Bunch style shots. Um, I'm excited for that one, actually. I'm very intrigued. Although that's like a year out at this point. And then, of course, Loki, which I think is going to you know, debut probably next summer is my guess. That's going to be their summer show in 2021. Uh, I don't know if any of these shows are going to go more than one season. I kind of have a feeling it's just like a mini, mini arc, six to eight episode mini arc. Um, and yeah, I mean, that looks cool. Falcon and Soldier look cool. You got some shots of the U.S. agent. Um, Loki just says, I'm going to wreck this shit up or whatever his line is. That doesn't, you know, it's take it or leave it. It's fine. Uh, but that's they had to put that in there because the fans go crazy for Loki. So I don't blame them. But um, speaking of superheroes, Wonder Woman had that brief tease that I thought they were going to put out like a new trailer for. You see her boots and then it's like, oh, no, it's just a Tide commercial with Charlie Day. Thank you very much for that tease. Um, ultimately, though, I think the best big game tease was A Quiet Place 2. Uh, I love that starts with a flashback with John Krasinski there. It's like, that's what I, I can't wait to see with this movie. What does this movie feel like when the outbreaks first starts, when those, those creatures first take over and people are just driving and like, they're just talking like, Hey, what's going on? And then all of a sudden I've nowhere, boom, 
they both get killed or one of them gets killed just by this random creature that has no like, you just don't know what its powers are even are like how does that how does that process of figuring out that all they can do is hear and they can't see what is that like um and the rest of the tv spot is ultimately like the same sort of footage from the trailer but boy oh boy i am stoked for that film absolutely stoked um well i guess i probably should have mentioned this earlier but with the loki series owen wilson was apparently cast it's one of the strangest casting choices i can remember um but i think it's for that reason that i'm absolutely like very intrigued by it i will say this this debuted this casting came out the day six years to the day after jesse eisenberg was announced as lex luther i found that really weird both actors don't fit the comic universe or at least just jesse eisenberg doesn't doesn't fit lex luther maybe he fits another comic character much better but he doesn't fit lex luther and i hope i never have to see him again as lex luther but i i think owen wilson can do some cool things with this what else has he really been in though besides comedies you know ultimately not much what else do we got that's it with the disney plus and super bowl news mission impossible had some casting christopher mcquarrie came out on twitter i guess he's been one uh, known to do at this point he basically announced the return of henry zerny as kittredge from the first mission impossible film this is the 1996 mission impossible film that he is coming back for which is very exciting. Um, he joins Palm Clementieff, um, Shea Brigham, I think is his, his actual name, uh, Nicholas Holt, um, Haley Atwell, Tom Cruise, Rebecca Ferguson, uh, Simon Pegg, you would assume being Rames, um, and one other person, I can't remember what that other cast member who was. I would assume Vanessa Kirby's come back, but this is the other thing I was gonna mention, right? So he announced Henry Zerny as Kittredge uh, for both seven and eight for both mission impossible seven and eight um and what i was thinking was like, how did his character end in the first film because he was like uh, against ethan for most of the runtime then he came back and uh once they found out phelps was behind everything then he was you know he, he arrested him i think and then arrested max uh who i believe in the timeline is currently dead because that's what vanessa kirby says in her speech that her mom max is dead like that I don't know. It's unclear, but since he's got a little bit of a connection to Max in the original film, maybe there's something going on with him and Vanessa Kirby here. Maybe there's some sort of deal. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know because we haven't seen a single bit of him. And he was was he, if he wasn't the director, he was he was up there at IMF. So I, I'd be curious to see what his role is now, uh, unless he unless he goes rogue or something. I don't know. I don't know, uh, but I, I'm just I'm intrigued. Um, we're nearing the end here. One of the last things we're gonna mention, we did do the, the you know, the what I'll remember era for last week. Of course, the finale did air last Tuesday. Uh, in short, even though I have a much longer review up on IMDb, um, in short, I really loved it. I thought they nailed it. Um, after some shaky, shaky's not even the strongest of words for it, but questionable decisions that were made during the crossover and ultimately the decision to put the backdoor pilot right before the finale um i thought they 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 came out on top they had that final 
final shot and, and, and they nailed it because it was emotional. Um, it was funny at times. It was nostalgic. Uh, they brought back just about every, they, everybody they could possibly could. And I, I, I've come around on the idea that Oliver fixed the timeline and somebody like Quentin and Moira and, and Thea and all of them are just okay now. You know, they're okay. They're not dead. Tommy's alive. Um, you know, I guess people who have, who spe- specifically and significantly changed his life to make him Errol were not able to be brought back, which makes sense. Um, but you could definitely say that Moira and Tommy were pretty big deaths that changed him as a person. So specifically Tommy. Um, but ultimately, you just have to accept it and um, and suspend disbelief, as I've mentioned quite a few times before. But I, I really did love it. And um, I don't know. I'm going to miss it. I'm definitely going to miss that show. Uh, it even feels weird this week, not having a specific show at a certain time to look forward to. You just binging the shows you want to catch up with at this point. But speaking of that, an old show, one of the first shows that I remember watching from beginning to end that ultimately ended up being one season. Because Arrow is the only show I've watched from first episode of the the first day to the last episode on the last day that has spanned multiple seasons. I've never done that with a show. I've either caught up halfway through the show like Game of Thrones, uh, like season three of Game of Thrones I caught up in that summer uh, and then was able to to catch up during season four and season five uh, live. Uh, But other shows either... They aired before I was born or was able to watch TV or something like that. But Arrow was that first show, beginning to end, multiple seasons. However, the first show I remember watching that only lasted one season that was beginning to end each episode was that of The Event on NBC, I believe it aired. Underrated show that ultimately only lasted one season. I just don't think it had the viewership, but it was that typical... It was such a typical like NBC, CBS type show where there's, for lack of a better term, an event that happens that is a great pilot idea. It'll catch your eye during a Super Bowl or not even a Super Bowl, but just a random football game ad on the side announced by Jim Nance or Al Michaels. Hey, catch the event this week. It's like that is such a typical, prototypical idea. Um ultimately about like aliens and and, and, um, immigration, I guess, is a major theme that they had as well. And um, the idea of having people who perhaps don't belong somewhere or people think they don't belong somewhere try to be accepted or try to hide within the, um, you know, the country uh, or world, if you will, in the scenario. So, uh, I always loved that series, and I bought the series on Blu-ray, and it just shipped in today. So I, I felt like that was worth mentioning, because that's a show that if you haven't seen, I think it's it's worth checking out. It's a weird, kind of cheesy, maybe even dated, I gotta go back and watch it, um, but it's from like 2010, uh, and I really, really loved it. Final shout-outs to Josh McCuga, um, fellow schmo, also um, met him in Chicago last year. Uh, internet personality, comedian, you know, host, all sorts of stuff. He got his first major, major break, um, a lead in a History Channel TV series called Eating History. The show sounds pretty fascinating. Not something specifically maybe I would watch, um, but I think it sounds pretty interesting. 
They go back into like places that have held on to certain foods for a long time and eat foods that are either decades, maybe a hundred years old, and they eat it on camera. Uh, it's like a traveling the world type show. So, or maybe it's just country. I don't know. Um, but I'm looking forward to that, and I, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm I'm happy for the guy. The guy's the guy deserves it. He's he's one of the good ones. He is one of the good ones. So uh, I'm excited for him. But that's pretty much it for the show. I will call it quits from here, but have an Oscar-filled weekend. We might be doing one more episode on Sunday morning before the show, or maybe we'll just do it Monday after the Oscars to get a kind of a recap going. But otherwise, have an Oscar-filled weekend, and I really, really hope Jojo Rabbit comes out of there with the best picture win. Wouldn't that be something?